This episode is sponsored in part by Sacred, a not-for-profit that helps improve lives in the rural Mexican communities where heritage agave spirits are made. Since we obtained our official not-for-profit status from the IRS back in 2017, Sacred has gifted more than 32,000 Tobola agave seedlings to families in rural Oaxaca. These families are finding their cultural heritage at risk as access to agave is getting harder and harder due to the global explosion of interest in mezcal. Even as we continue to expand this program, we've also recently helped to launch a program that will build out three greenhouses in rural Jalisco to help protect four at-risk varieties of agave and three at-risk varieties of trees, while at the same time preventing these rare wildlands in Jalisco from becoming still more Blue Weber farms. To learn about these and other programs, visit sacred.mx. That's sacred.mx. If you love heritage agave spirits, please consider helping us protect that cultural heritage with a tax-deductible donation this holiday season at sacred.mx. Hey, Chicago, there's a gallery show going on that you won't want to miss. It's called Agave, and it features artwork made primarily from agave fibers left over from mescaleros in Oaxaca. I say primarily because there's also a musical instrument that looks something like a didgeridoo, but made from the heart and quixote of a matraquiche. Buy that and record a version of our theme song with it, and we'll feature it on this podcast. Agave will be on display in the Chase Gallery at the Epiphany Center for the Arts from now until April 9th. And every first Thursday, a different agave spirits company will be on hand to sample out some of the liquid agave art that we love so much. For details, visit epiphanyshy.com. That's E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y-C-H-I dot C-O-M. Or... Follow the link from this episode page at agaveroadtrip.com. Hope to bump into you there. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning podcast that helps Green Gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and agave allergies. What? Agave allergies, too? Does that even exist? Do we have any way to prove that, Lou? Do we have an authority in the podcast that can tell us that that is feasible? Why, this must be an episode. Get ready, Roy. This must be an episode that features Cocktail MD, Ryan Acar. Wow, that's quite an introduction. Thank you. Welcome to the show, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, so this is an episode where we're going to talk about allergies to agave, which is interesting. You know, when I it's funny when I was um, uh, a, a young kid and I was twenty one, I didn't drink. No, I'm sorry, nineteen. I didn't drink until I was legal age, and it was legal in Iowa at the age of nineteen. Um, I would drink beer, and I would be drunk almost instantly. Mm. And so it's one of the reasons I honestly started drinking tequila. My first, you know, slow gin fizz was my first thing. But I found that if I drank hard alcohol, the effects were less on me than beer was. And years later, I discovered I was gluten intolerant. And I've always attributed that um, that reaction, my... my um, Drunkness? Um, my inability to drink beer. What's that? Yeah, your immediate drunkness. Your embarrassing immediate drunkness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely embarrassing, definitely immediate 
Yeah, definitely drunkenness. I'll go with that. Yeah. Um, whereas I like literally you like you could give me a liter of tequila and I could drink it and I, you know, I'm not going to be fine. But compared to what I'd be, uh, you know, I guess not a liter, but a pint uh, compared to what I would be uh, with uh, with beer. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. So what you're trying to say is that you attributed your embarrassing immediate drunkenness to gluten, gluten intolerance and you're wondering if that may happen to someone that arguably suffers from agave allergy. Is that your point? Sure. sure. Ryan? Yeah. So, all right, there, there's a lot to unpack there. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Agave Road Trip, Ryan. So if you're asking if there's an agave allergy, sure, anyone can be allergic to anything. That's possible. And what... I did a little bit of research right before this episode and started looking into what true allergies look like. So let's let's first talk about what is a true allergy. Okay, okay, hang on a second, Doc. Yeah, like if you're going to be on our show, you don't start doing the research until we're in the oh. middle of the show. That's <laughs> no. the rule. Okay? No, no, that's absolutely not the rule, Ryan. I do happen to do a bunch of research before any episode happens. Lou thinks otherwise, but no. Research happens before and after sometimes, but before definitely. All right. Anyway, so you did a little research. Yeah, so... The, the problem with true allergies. Okay, let's talk about what an allergy is. So you've got these things floating around your bloodstream called mast cells. And whenever that comes into contact with a pollen or cat dander or whatever you're allergic to, that pollen will then lock on to an immunoglobulin that then locks onto the mast cell. And the mast cell says, there's a problem here. Let's dump a bunch of histamine. And that's when you start getting itchy rashes. And depending on if you have asthma, that's when you start getting short of breath. So that is that is what a true allergy is. Hmm. In theory, people can be allergic to anything. So yes, you can be allergic to certain foods and agave would be no different. So if you're coming into particularly contact with agave fibers, absolutely, you can have allergic reactions. So contact dermatitis is something that I've seen a couple of times in agave workers. So Chava, help me out here. Do agave workers typically wear long pants and long sleeves and and wear N95 <laughs> masks and eye protection whenever they're working with these plants? Well, unfortunately, rural Mexico doesn't resemble Switzerland a lot. So, you know, the 95 <laughs> uh, masks and a lot of the precautions are not necessarily present. But I think this is very important, what you're saying, that there's different types of allergies. And we, when we're talking about this, it's definitely contact with the with the fibers of the raw agave against the skin. We're still not talking yes. about consuming it as as food, as cooked agave, or as in the form of a spirit. It's just uh, carrying these massive piñas with your bare hands and your bare uh, torso sometimes and getting those fibers inside your skin, almost like if it was fiberglass, and having some rather nasty dermatitis. And I've seen... What? 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 what, what? Hang on a second. Hang on a second, Chava. You keep saying you're carrying the agave. Is it only in the raw form? After it's cooked, can you have the same reaction? I've I've only seen it in the raw form. I've never seen having dermatitis after it's cooked. And my guess is because when it's raw, the fibers are very sharp. They're almost like like tiny. Uh... That's that's the that's the agave protecting itself, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. Yes, I'm serious. This is like what this is one of the beauties of the agave, right, Ryan? Is like it's got to live out in the wild for ten years in the middle of the desert is the only food source. So it's over the, over centuries, it's developed thousands of years. It's developed defense mechanisms to stay safe, and one of them is that right. It's going to it's going to give us a rash until we've cooked it. 
Yeah, I don't know. When, I think you want a botanist on the program than if you want to talk about <laughs> the evolutionary history of plants protecting themselves. Nah, we we already did that. Like now we're gonna we're marrying the two. It's oh, okay. what you've got with what they've got. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So contact dermatitis is absolutely something pretty common that I, I read among the agave workers. The other thing is asthma exacerbation. So if you're crushing this agave plant and all of a sudden you're sending fibers out into the air and you're inhaling them and you're not wearing a protective mask, you're going to start having asthma exacerbation. So that's something else that I saw was pretty common amongst the agave work. And you're, sh- and what about you, Chava? You're shaking your head. Yes. Cause I imagine you've seen this a few times. Oh man. Like I, I worked distilling for a year. Right. So I, I think that when your body is new to an environment, you suffer it more acutely, you know, just like, yeah, you just suffer it more. So I remember coughing like a crazy person. I remember like one day that I was unsmart enough to try to help them in the tapada, just being covered with rashes. I remember them giving me a piece of raw agave as a joke, make, making it like I chew it and my, you can imagine the dermatitis on your tongue. So I've, I've, I've gone through a lot of, uh, let's say unpleasant. Hazing. You've gone through hazing. Uh, I- like that seems, that seems like an incredibly <laughs> cruel joke to play on someone. Yeah, but I was I was like the city kid there that didn't speak Zapotec, and that was a great source of um, amusement for everybody involved. So you know, I, I take it. Hmm. Anyways, but I think that's a lot of the workers' part, right? We're still not talking in any capacity yeah. about consumers yet. We're talking about people yep. that work with agave. What about consumers of agave spirit specifically? That is, uh, let's say, our most uh, precise area of interest. Yeah. So in that case, you're probably not going to find a lot of published research because, frankly, people aren't going to care. So if you're <laughs> allergic to agave and and you can't drink agave, it's like, great. I don't want to put that in a published report that someone just says I can't drink agave. So that is that is the concern I would have. That. But yes, you can absolutely be allergic to whether it be agave nectar as a consumer or potentially agave spirits. And and now you can't ever have that again, but you can have other spirits. So sure, that allergy can absolutely exist. You know, when when people tell me that, like, oh, I'm allergic to agave, my first thought is, no, you're not allergic to agave. You've just had like really bad experiences with tequila when you were in your early 20s. Yeah. And and so in your mind, you're allergic to agave, but really you're just allergic to binge drinking is what you're allergic to. Yeah. So that, that brings up a more behavioral aspect of it. So if you drink a cheap tequila when you're younger and get really drunk and you have a bad hangover the next day, you may say, well, I can't drink tequila. Well, no, you've had a bad experience with tequila, but you've trained yourself to believe now that anytime you have tequila, you're going to have a bad experience. That's not tequila's fault. That's yours on drinking inappropriately. (laughs) Okay. But if, if so, okay. So, but if I think that I've got an allergy to agave, yeah. Right. So I'm going to be avoiding tequila. I'm going to be avoiding mezcal. I'm going to be avoiding agave nectar. Is there any any connection of, of any of those things to, to other alcohols? Yeah, so what you bring up then, I think you're alluding to, is someone who says, I'm allergic to alcohol. Hmm. And again, in theory, that could be the case. In reality, it's probably not. So in simple terms, alcohol has to be broken down by the body through a series of steps. And the first step is alcohol goes through alcohol dehydrogenase and becomes acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde then goes through. Wait, al- wait, yeah. And this, 
And this happens in the body. Yes. Like this is happening in my liver. Right. So so alcohol does stuff to you, most notably gets you drunk, but your body does stuff to alcohol to break it down. Oh. And oh. that first step is going through alcohol dehydrogenase. So you're going to make acetaldehyde. All right. So then the next step is you've got to get rid of that acetaldehyde, and you do that through aldehyde dehydrogenase, and then it becomes acetone, and then that gets pulled into the mitochondria and, and gets used as an energy source. So what I want to focus on is... Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Did you just tell me that tequila is the original energy drink? <laughs> is this Seriously, is this what I'm hearing? Like, alcohol becomes energy. Yeah. So it, it has calories, and... It will and be- anything with, with calories will become energy, even if it's a depressant, and alcohol is a depressant. Right. It's a terrible source of nutrition, but yes, you, you <laughs> will get some, some from that. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. All right. So that, that first step, when alcohol dehydrogenase converts your ethanol to acetaldehyde, that acetaldehyde comes with a variety of problems. It causes things like flushing. It can cause things like vomiting. And so for a lot of us, that's not going to be an issue because our liver's aldehyde dehydrogenase is going to get rid of that acetaldehyde. But for someone who has an aldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency, they're going to have a terrible time. And so this is something that's pretty common in Asian people. When, so when you have an Asian hmm. person say, I drink one beer and then I start flushing and I start vomiting, that's not an allergy. That's an aldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency. That person can really never drink alcohol as oh. a result. Now, there there are some ways to try to mitigate that, but... At the end result is that person is going to have a real problem anytime they drink. Wow. Hmm. And can you create tolerance? Can, can someone with that condition can, you know, like start drinking a little, little, then a little bit more and, you know, just like get to a point where they can actually drink uh, normally? Not really, because it's a biochemical deficiency. So if your body doesn't produce aldehyde dehydrogenase, you're not going to convince it to start creating it. <laughs> One thing you can do, however, is there are some ways around that. So, for example, Pepsid, which is usually thought of being an antihistamine medication. You can go get it over the counter and you take Pepsid 30 minutes before you eat a meal and it's supposed to prevent you from getting heartburn. Mm. Well, Pepsid blocks alcohol dehydrogenase. So you're not making the acetaldehyde to begin with. And so there are some people who will say... If I drink alcohol, I'm going to get flushing. But if I take Pepsid, wait 30 minutes, and then drink alcohol, I don't get flushing. So that's probably the mechanism of how that's happening. Mm. The The other thing that helps is aldehyde dehydrogenase needs magnesium to work. And so in theory, you could supplement with magnesium for whatever aldehyde dehydrogenase you have and, and make it work a little faster and get rid of that acetaldehyde. In reality, probably not. But So there are things that can potentially mitigate that so it's not so bad. But no, drinking more alcohol is not going to build up your tolerance to it. It's not wow. like, yeah, it's not, you're not, you're not going to get around biochemistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. But could you make a, could you make a cocktail where <laughs> the ingredients include Pepsid and magnesium? And then like you sort of, is that, is that a possibility? So the, the problem with dispensing medication like Pepsid <laughs> is going to be very illegal here in the United States. Now there oh. are some oh. companies that try to get around that by doing things like, putting B vitamins into energy drinks and saying this will help you from getting a hangover. And and again, probably not. Probably doesn't work as well as is advertised. Mm. But still, they're trying... Because I remember when I was in Tokyo, you know, uh, there was a whole fridge inside the 7-Elevens that was dedicated to a multitude of different anti-hangover drinks. 
they had the best graphic design I've seen in my life. A lot of them have like different livers, like a happy liver, like a sad <laughs> liver, you know, like a more realistic <laughs> liver. I really wish I had made a collection of them. But do you think that there there is a, and a lot of them uh, promoted B vitamin complexes? So I'm guessing that because you're in Asia, there's majority uh, Asian population. They acknowledge that and they're trying to in some way. Uh, Sub- supplement uh well give them supplements to make it less less painful no yeah and and so that's part of like how red bull claims to work for example it has b complex vitamins among many other things like taurine and caffeine and sugar which probably red bull works more because of the sugar content and the caffeine mm-hmm. than it does from all the other stuff that's added to it so yes there there's a lot of marketing and a lot of claims about how you can prevent flushing or how you can prevent a hangover and and the reality is it comes down to alcohol if if you drink a lot you're going to get a hangover and if you have aldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency and you drink enough alcohol you're going to have flushing and and all sorts of problems you know, when, as a result yeah when you're yeah. saying flushing you're not talking about like a cleanse you just mean literally yeah. your face <laughs> is going to flush right right you get you get red hot skin yeah, and that's what and that's where where the misnomer of people say I have an allergy because they'll get um, a rash everywhere, and and that's not a rash from histamine. That's a, a rash because you've now got a bunch of acetaldehyde floating around. And it's not only the face, Lou. It's the whole body. I've seen people whose like just whole body it, it's like incredibly red, and uh, yeah. yeah it's- so it just saves you a trip to the tanning beds, is what you're saying. <laughs> I don't think that's the way tan works, Lou. I actually think that's how people will prefer not to get tan. Oh, okay. So, so, but let's circle back to to something you you started to talk about, uh, Ryan, and that's the the idea that there is realistically no such thing as a uh, a hangover cure. Is that accurate? Wait, 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 wait. That's a whole episode. I am not letting That's you go. Episode? Yeah, that, that is a whole episode. And uh, I have a bunch of questions about that. So no, 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 no. We're not going to touch on that right away, Lou. Okay. I forbid you. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's going to take okay. a lot of looking up stuff on, on my part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, then let's, I think, I think we've covered. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Doc? Or, or Chava? Uh, well, I, 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 I'm just thinking if, you know, if he asks you to look at anything, Ryan, just say no. Well, He's no, always no. doing that to me. Could you take a look at this? I just no, no, no. I'm worried about the what, what, what I'm thinking a little bit is you know right now in tequila there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of fuss of additive free tequilas. So it's it's trying to get anything out of the mix that is just not agave and water. So what I'm thinking yeah. is if maybe the some of the additives that are commonly used to not only tequila but to a lot of the other alcohols might be a more recurrent allergenic than when you're drinking what we will call like a natural alcohol that well, only uses sure. the raw like material that. and water. Yeah, and, and so Chama, help me out here. When when the agave heart is used to make essentially the, the liquid that goes into making the spirit, isn't there a lot more than just crushing it? It's things like sulfuric acid gets added to it. and Well, well you, you, like... It can be done that way. This okay. is where we were talking about, like, you can, you can, you have to hydrolyze the fructans in the agave, and you can do that by cooking it, or you can do that by using enzymes, and sometimes those enzymes are hydraulic acid, which is, you know, often uh, part of the process of using the diffuser to make your tequila or your mezcal. And sometimes for, for uh, fermentation, they will use like accelerants that can be nitrogen, and uh, so... 
that 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 is like really my question. In if uh, if uh, and I think that will take uh, that actually could be a whole different episode. Like if some of the most common additives in the alcohol world can be a source of health issues compared to when you're drinking something that it's a hundred percent the raw material and water and that's it, right? But I I, I really think that's uh, that's a question. That might take a long time to look into, and I'm sure there there has to be some case studies published around that. No, God, it, it makes me wonder why we're not seeing any tequilas with B vitamins added. <laughs> like, why do you never see that? Come on, Lou, I'm so happy you're not part of a marketing team of a tequila brand. <laughs> tequila and taurine, where's that? <laughs> okay, so I, I think that being said, uh, yeah, we need to wrap this up. Okay. Well, Dr. Ryan Acock, thank you once again for joining us. Cocktail MD. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you guys for having me. Chido. Okay, we'll catch you next episode. Hasta pronto. Adios, adios, adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.